This is the Aftermarket Radio Network. Welcome to another episode of Business by the Numbers. I'm your host, Hunt Emrys, CPA with Parmelson Associates. So it's that time of the year, our favorite season of them all, tax season. This week, I wanted to touch on a couple of topics that have come up recently, as well as some tips to make your life and your accountant's life easier. Before we get into that, I want to have a quick word from our partners who make Business by the Numbers possible. Checking your balance when you close is a pain, unless you have end-of-day payments from Shopware. It tallies up all transactions and puts your mind at ease when you see your daily snapshot. GetShopware.com. At Repair Shop of Tomorrow, a Napa Auto Care Endorsed program, their unique done-for-you marketing platform takes the guesswork out of the equation. Please visit them at RepairShopOfTomorrow.com. So luckily this year, tax laws and credits have remained relatively unchanged, which is the first time in, I don't know, five years that I can say that. Now, there are a couple things that have changed and a couple things have come up that I want you all to be aware of because these are things that I've already started to see or started to hear from some of my other clients. You might not even notice this depending on how much you make, but the child and dependent credits are lower this year than they were last year. It is almost not even really a change because there was really a one-time increase for last year because of some of the pandemic and the stimulus money that they were giving out. So this was a way that they were trying to offset the cost of having dependents during the pandemic. And in 2021, they were also sending out the advanced child tax credit, which they stopped doing in 2022 as well. All in all, though, it's really not something that most people will actually notice on a material level, especially at the income level that most of you guys are at. Now, there could be some changes depending on how many kids you had and what's your income situation. So I'm not going to say that this is not going to affect you directly. It is not something where I put out there on a blanket thing of like, hey, you need to be majorly aware of. Now, for my clients, we've already factored these changes in there. But if you have kind of similar income in every other way than you did last year on it, you could have a small surprise when it comes to the end of the year. While it could make your refund a little bit lower or could turn that small refund into a small balance due. But none of these changes, unless you have a ton of kids and a, you know not that much income, are really going to have a noticeable difference for most people, especially most people listening to this. The reason I bring these changes up is obviously to educate you, but also I've been hearing already a lot of talks how refunds are smaller this year, smaller than they were in the past. And depending on where you read this, you know there could be a different reason for why the refunds are smaller. And honestly, I hate when I hear this. Because it's the dumbest argument I've ever heard. The refunds are smaller this year and they tried to tie this to a larger reason when it's just not really the case at all. Some refunds are smaller because of these lower credits that we just talked about. Some refunds are going to be smaller because of the lack of stimulus payments, right? And if you put that in a snapshot of, hey, a lot of Americans are smaller because of these credits and because of these stimulus payments, then I would agree that is a logical connection. However, to put a blanket statement out there of, hey, average refunds are low, or even try to tie these to tax rates or something like that altogether is a completely misleading comment and, you know, leaves a lot to misinterpretation, we'll call it. So in the past, this statistic is often always used to analyze personal income taxes and the effect that these tax rates and changes are making on people. However, what we're missing is a major piece here. A refund is not a discretionary thing. A refund is not like, hey, you know what? We like you. We like how you voted at the last primaries. And so we're going to reward you and give you more money. No, a refund is not the government giving you any money. 
If anything, it's giving you your money back. The refund really comes from, it's the difference of the taxes that you owe and the taxes that you have paid in. So ignoring the credit side of it, if you're getting a larger refund, you shouldn't be saying, oh my God, thank you, government. It's just giving you more money back that you've already given them. You essentially loan them money. They did all the tallying at the end of the year and say, eh, didn't actually need to pay us that much. Here, we're going to send some of it back. On the flip side, if you owe the government money, it's, hey, this is how much tax you had. You gave us not all of it during the year, so we're going to need to be paid and settled up on April 15th. Fun fact, and I love when people say tax the rich like it would be a departure from our current tax system. And, you know, a lot of you listeners right now are guilty of asking me the same thing. Hey, Hunt, I want these tax breaks the rich get because the rich aren't paying taxes when that really couldn't be farther than the truth. And so, like I said, about 50% of Americans pay zero federal income tax. Now, a couple more numbers here that might surprise you as well is that people making less than $200,000 a year account for less than 8% of our total tax revenue. Pretty crazy, right? So anyone under 200,000, if you total up all of the people in the country, that only counts for about 8% of our overall tax revenue as a whole. That's pretty startling when the average income or the average household income in America is less than $70,000. On the other hand, though, the top 1% of income earners in this country make up almost 50% of our tax revenue. Let that sink in a little bit. So the top 1% of all income earners in this country make up 50% of the entire tax revenue. Now, this is where fact meets fiction, right? When people say, hey, rich do not pay their fair share, if you look at those numbers on it, if people making $200,000 or less are paying 8% and 1% of our you know, income earners or 1% of the population is making up 50%, I would agree that there's a disparity, but I think it might be the opposite narrative that is perpetuated in today's news and all the stuff that you read. If anything, I think there's already an argument to be made that the rich are already paying their fair share and the average American is probably using more of the government's resources while contributing zero financially. Now, I'll agree that probably wouldn't be the best campaign slogan, so I will stick with accounting. But all in all, you know, I think that the rumors and the idea that the rich are not paying their fair share perpetuates a lot of misconceptions about how taxes are filed and and what the average person can do to save taxes. Now, I am not going to lie to you and say that there is not tax strategies that are already in place that the rich and, you know, 1% take advantage of. And these tax strategies are not reasonable for the average American, even an average American making $500 million a year. The reason is, is no matter what tax strategy you have out there, there's very few that does not cost money to try and save money. And the idea behind it that I like to explain to people is, hey, some strategies work when you're paying almost 50% effective tax rates. Those strategies do not work if you're paying 20% tax rates. The reason is, is because All these you have to spend, right? Like, let's just think about you going out to buy a truck. Hey, you buy $80,000 truck, it's going to save you about 25% or about 20 grand on it, right? Return on investment seems like a pretty good idea. Now, even that example, let's say that you're making $75,000 a year. If you're making $75,000 a year and you have a kid, you're not paying any income tax. So you can go buy that $80,000 truck, but you're actually not saving any tax money because you're not paying any tax. Right. And so that's the example in a nutshell of some of these more aggressive strategies that most of you have probably never heard of half of them because they don't ever apply to you. 
hey, that tax strategy works because it cost me 30 or 40%. That's still a lot lower than the 40 or 50% tax that I'm paying. As much as you love the shop routine that you have now, I'll tell you that switching to a cloud-based shop management system will pay off in more ways than you can imagine. Not only will you let go of bad habits that are costing you money, you'll free up more time for your techs to fix more cars. Your quotes will be quicker and more accurate, and you'll make more money per part than you ever did before. We all know that time is money. When you streamline your day, you waste less time on repetitive brain drains. Start fresh by going to your favorite browser and looking up GetShopware.com. The orange Book a Demo button will set you on a journey for more profit and less stress. You'll never look back. Check it out at GetShopware.com. At Repair Shop of Tomorrow, a Napa Auto Care endorsed coaching and marketing program, their unique industry-proven marketing platform takes the guesswork out of the equation. Instead of taking a shotgun approach, Repair Shop of Tomorrow uses predictive marketing that focuses on bringing the right cars into your shop. They utilize social media, email marketing, direct mail, personalized newsletters, and Napa value-added programs to create quality car count for their clients. This same branded message, same branded content marketing approach is bringing in the right customers and bringing them in more often, which is helping their clients add more net profit to the bottom line. If your current marketing strategy isn't yielding the results you would like, please reach out to Repair Shop tomorrow to get your marketing efforts dialed in. For more information about their program, please visit them at repairshopoftomorrow.com. Now, speaking of tax refunds and withholding, another thing that I've been hearing more and more about this year is clients talking about their employees or kids owing taxes, and a lot of times a surprising thing. Owing tax for self-employed people is not something new and is the reason why we plan for our clients. If you're self-employed, you're used to the idea of, hey, I don't expect a refund. I expect I might owe, and I'm hopefully trying to get ahead of that to minimize that, reduce as much as possible, and at the very least, be able to plan a little bit for it. However, if you're an employee, a lot of people not only do not expect to owe, a lot of them are banking on a refund. So this is not really something that was very common for you know people that we did that weren't self-employed up until probably about five years ago. You know, when I first started doing this, if someone just had a W-2, meaning that they work for someone else as an employee, 99% of the time you're getting a refund. Might be a little refund if you don't have any kids, probably a pretty big refund if you have a lot of kids. Now, what happened a couple of years ago is there was major tax law changes. Now, the W-4 schedule, which is the schedule that you fill out when you uh, get hired that picks how you're going to withhold on your paychecks, was updated about two years later to reflect the new tax code. So with the new W-4, now what they tried to say is, hey, the new W-4 is a lot simpler than the old one. But just like anything in the government, they claim it's simpler. Maybe they even thought it was simpler. It's exactly the same, just different. Arguably, maybe even a little bit more confusing, which is why we're talking about it today. But with the new W-4 and the new withholding tables, they intentionally were trying to withhold less to get closer to a break-even at tax time versus in the past, it was generally more conservative or almost guaranteed a refund. Now, there's two sides of this. You know, the one aspect is in a perfect world, no one owes any tax at the end of the year. No one gets any refunds back because if you owe money, it means that you should have paid in more throughout the year. And if you got a refund back, it means that you gave the government too much money throughout the year. So theoretically, the perfect situation is to not owe and to not get a refund whatsoever. 
In actuality, though, it's almost never the case. I've never seen a tax return where someone actually came up to zero. Their taxes were $6,575, and they paid in that exact amount to the penny. It just never happens. And honestly, for a lot of times, you know, people would rather err on the side of a refund because generally most people are spenders, not savers. So they want to make sure that they don't have to come up with money at the end of the year, right? Think about if you're a person that makes, you know, let's say your take-home pay is $1,000 a week and you're living paycheck to paycheck. Imagine getting a $2,000 tax bill as a surprise in April. It's a very alarming thing. And for a lot of people, they just can't afford it. And it really can start the trickle-down effect of some pretty bad consequences there. Now, getting a refund or getting a larger refund is sometimes people say, oh, you're giving a tax-free loan to the government, which is not true because the government does pay interest. Now, very low interest and a lot less than they charge you for not paying them. But a lot of times people don't factor in peace of mind. You know, and I tell people a lot, hey, you know what? Getting a big refund's not necessarily a bad thing on it. Yeah, if you were to have that money and you were to use it wisely and invest it otherwise, sure, you would be making more money than what the interest the government is charging you. Now, realistically, look at yourself in the mirror and say, hey, if I had this extra $3,000 throughout the year, which would have been a little bit on every single paycheck, would you actually still have that $3,000 come April 15th or would have just got kind of eaten up with your day-to-day expenses and spending and you would have nothing to show for it? So a lot of people, and you know, I still argue this for my clients, hey, you should shoot for a refund or shoot for about a break even if you're you know, self-employed. But for your employees, it might not be a bad idea to say, hey, err on the more aggressive side. Best case scenario, you get a good refund on it and you don't need it. You already have good savings. Perfect. Turn around and use it for something else. But for a lot of people, it's kind of a nice for spending account because unlike a savings account, if you put too much money into your withholdings and things get tough in, let's say, October, you can't just pull that out. You're stuck to figure it out until next April 15th. Also, for a lot of you guys, depending on where you are and what kind of clientele you had, I know for a lot of my clients, they talk about tax refund season being pretty darn good for business. And so some of these lower refunds are also affecting you guys on a business level as well. Hey, you know what? Inflation, job is not what I thought it would be. Economy's a little bit down. I just don't have money to fix my car. Hey, you know what? I just got 3,500 bucks in my money on my pocket from this tax refund. Maybe I will take it down to Joe's garage and have them put that new AC compressor in there. So I'm not sweltering this summer, right? And so some of this refund stuff, while it might not affect you, it's definitely affecting your customers and it's definitely affecting your employees as well. The major issue, and most of these times where we've seen this withholding issues for employees, whether it's employees or your kids or friends, comes from married couples when they both make decent livings. So generally the withholding tables, if you just have you know a classical single income person, it's going to be pretty darn close. If you filled it out correctly and you make $75,000 a year, you're probably going to be fine when it comes to taxes. Not to say that you're not going to owe any tax, but if you do, it should be very, very minimal at most. Good chance you're going to refund. Really, the major people that I've seen getting a big surprise are married couples that both make a decent living. And a lot of times, if you're switching jobs throughout the year, this is going to even compound the problem as well. The reason is, is let's say that you have one job and you work January through June, you make $60,000. And then you take another job where you make about $60,000 July through December. That second job does not know that you made money in the first part of the year. 
So they don't know that, hey, this is not dollar one that I'm paying you. This is actually dollar $60,000 and one, which are obviously going to be at a higher tax bracket. So switching jobs throughout the year is going to obviously cause some issues. But if you have two incomes coming in, they don't know what your spouse is making. A lot of times people don't even know that number themselves. And so they have guesstimates on this. And sometimes for married couples, it works out just fine. Sometimes married couples are absolutely getting crippled. Generally, what happens is if you look, if I'm doing a tax return where it's married filing joint and I have two W-2s from both the husband and the wife on there, generally when I look at it, if I see that they have a deficit or they owe tax at the end of the year, I can usually go back and say, hey, this person did not withhold enough, right? Hey, you guys both made $100,000. Jessica, you withheld $12,000, which was perfectly fine. Steve, you only had $7,000 withholding coming out. Right, You guys owe $4,000 in taxes, but Steve, if your withholdings were the same as Jessica, you actually would have got $1,000 back in the form of a refund. So what do you do in a situation like this? What do you do if an employee comes up and says, hey, boss, I had this issue. I went to file my taxes, whether it was themselves or you know them as a married couple, and I owe tax money. And I've seen a lot of situations where my clients have gotten very alarmed by this. And sometimes the employees are very accusatory. Hey, what did you do here? Why do I owe money this year? And I want you to know you had nothing to do with this. Well, I shouldn't say that. You shouldn't have had anything to do with this, right? When you hire that employee and they fill out that W-4 to elect how they want taxes to be deducted, you are not allowed to change that, right? If they fill it out correctly, incorrectly, if you think it's right, if you think it's not enough, it does not matter. You're legally obligated to put that information in there and withhold accordingly on it. So if something was to happen and they were to owe money or there was some sort of unexpected surprise, it has nothing to do with you as a business owner or you running payroll. Instead, what you need to do is you can try to explain to them how it works of, hey, you know what? You've put it in there. You filled this out and this is no fault of my own. Now, that being said, it doesn't mean that I'm taking responsibility, but I'm going to help you as your employer to try and fix this. Just had a call earlier this week where very similar situation here. Client called up, felt terrible. This person's kind of on hard times and now they get slapped with this big tax bill. And they know, hey, this is nothing that I did. The employee doesn't think that it's anything that I did, but I'm trying to help them go and tweak their W-4 and change around their exemptions or filing status to try and get this so that it doesn't happen again. And I do not recommend that. Do not go in there and try to change it from married filing joint to married filing separately or add an amount of exemptions or remove them because it's virtually impossible to estimate what that is ultimately going to look like. You can go take someone from married to single. You can go take the exemptions from 4,000 to zero on it and you might be pretty close. You might not. An easier way to do this and something where you know that you're going to be in a good spot is to talk about what actually happened and increasing your withholding in a very uniform and easy way throughout the year. So the first thing is, if I'm putting myself in your shoes, and the same thing if my employees come to me, because I've had my employees had these issues as well, is first and foremost, I need to make sure that nothing out of the ordinary happened. A lot of times people kind of get confused on taxes, obviously, but kind of confused on the causation of why you owe tax. Hey, boss, why do I owe all this tax money? And then you start looking at their withholding and all kinds of stuff. I've even done this for clients, too, where I look at it and say the withholding was exactly the same as last year. So if there is something different going on, it has nothing to do with their wages. Right. So it could have nothing to do with your employees wages. It's actually the spouse's wages that need to be addressed. 
Also, you could look at this and say, hey, you know what? Your wages, your spouse's wages withholding were all exactly the same, but you cashed out that retirement or you sold that stock or you sold that property. So first and foremost, figure out, is this an ongoing issue or was this an isolated problem that happened? So let's now assume that we have ruled out the isolated incidents or something that we don't expect to happen again in the future and say, you know what? We are going to help you. We are going to change your withholding. Whether or not it was your fault, whether or not your wife's fault, we know that we're about $5,000 short of what you needed to pay in throughout the year. So now if we have that target of $5,000, I'm going to go back and I'm going to ask my employee, hey, we know you were short $5,000 last year. So do you want to target to try and break even? Do you want to target to just try and minimize this somewhat? Or do you want to try and target to get a refund for this upcoming year or be a little bit conservative on this? And the reason I say that is this. So if you're $5,000 short and the person doesn't mind owing a little bit of money, that just was too much, then maybe they'll say, hey, let's just try and get another three grand paid in. I might still owe a couple thousand dollars, but it won't be as bad as it is now. Maybe they say, hey, I want to try and hit this right on the head. I heard Hunt's podcast and he says it can't be done. It's never been done. I'm going to be the first one to do this. I want to try to get it down to the penny. Then we'll probably do an extra 5000 for the year. Now, if they say, no, boss, I am not good at saving money. My spouse is not good at saving money. I want to guarantee that I'm getting a refund, that I'm probably going to shoot over a little bit and maybe go and withhold an extra $7,000 throughout the year. No matter what that amount is, it's a very simple formula to figure out how you do this. So what you need to do is you need to take the amount that they are short or the amount that they want to add additionally on this and divide it by the number of paychecks in a given year. So let's say that they wanted to withhold $5,000 additional this year and you pay them on a weekly basis. Now, simple math on this, they want an extra 5,000, 52 weeks in a year. They need to withhold an extra $100 per paycheck. So once you figure that out, or if you want to put this on your employee to figure out, they come back to you and say, all right, I need you to withhold an extra $100 out of every paycheck. If you do your own payroll through QuickBooks, you could go right into their setup where you entered in what their you know filing status was and withholding exemptions were amount. And you'll see a little, a little box on there, additional amount to withhold per paycheck. And you would just enter that $100 right in there. Whether it's federal, whether it's state, whether it's federal and state, there's going to be two different boxes where you can put that in. Now, keep in mind, almost all payrolls have that additional amount per paycheck. So make sure that you're not doing this on a weekly basis when you're paying biweekly or semi-monthly or stuff like this. Also, another thing is you got to look at this and be careful on how you're running bonuses. If you're running bonuses all on the same weekly paycheck, it's going to work just fine. If you're adding bonuses periodically throughout the year, you might notice that, hey, the actual regular wages are okay, but they're not getting enough taken out on bonuses. So no matter if you want to do this on bonuses, commissions, or wages, it's all treated exactly the same. Now, the nice thing is if you use an outsourced payroll service like ADP or Paychex or one of these full service options on it, there's nothing that you really got to do other than email your representative. And sometimes in cases like that, you don't even really need to tell them the weekly amount. Hey, I need little Johnny to have an extra $3,000 withheld for the rest of this year. Can you calculate that and take an additional amount out of his paycheck? whether it's federal or state, and it's done out of your hair. You know, the big thing here is that I want to let you know, which is then also going to let your employees know, is it's nothing that you did wrong as a business owner. It's nothing that your employee probably did wrong filling out their W-4. It is extremely common 
and extremely common in today's age. Doesn't mean that there's nothing that we can do to change it like we just talked about. Yeah, we can change this. I can't change the tax rate, but I can withhold more money for you so you don't have this end of year surprise. And also, you know, I feel like that this would kind of defuse the situation instead of just saying, hey, not my problem. You need to figure that on your own. And setting up a perpetual cycle of, hey, every single April, you're going to have an employee in a pretty foul mood because they just had to stroke a big check to Uncle Sam. Help me help you figure out this and make sure that not only I can maybe lower your stress level, but also help you out from a cash flow standpoint and a personal financial level as well. And you know what? If they don't get this, maybe share this episode with them and say, hey, you can skip through the beginning part. Start listening when you start talking about tax refunds and withholding. So you can kind of get a little bit more understanding of what I'm trying to do here for you. So I hope you found this helpful for your own personal information, but also some information to help out your team, family, friends, etc. And as a reminder, help your accountant out as well, right? This is our busy season. So the more you can help us, you don't even realize how much we appreciate that. Biggest thing that you can do to help us out is make sure that you're getting us the information. Get your stuff to sent together and get it sent in ASAP. More organized, the better. More legible, the better. Do not take pictures with your cell phone, text it or email it to your accountant. Do not fax it to your accountant, right? We still have fax machines because that's the only way the IRS communicates. I don't want stuff faxed to me. And most people don't even have fax machines anymore, right? If you have a good scanner, scan that stuff in. Most of that is electronically. Just get that electronic and send it over. At the very least, you know, if you don't have a good scanner, then don't try and scan it and kill yourself with it or end up taking something that's not going to be legible. I tell my clients a lot of times of, hey, I get it's 2023. Not everyone's as paperless as they would like to be. Put all the information that you think is relevant for us, put it into an envelope and just mail it to us. Now, don't mail it, right? Don't put it in an envelope with a couple stamps on it or whatever that works out to be. Make sure you do this with some sort of tracking. Right. I'm not a personal fan of the postal service for a number of reasons. Recommend UPS or FedEx, something that has a tracking so that if something does happen, we know where it is, especially if that's original documents. If it is original documents, then do try and take pictures of this stuff. Every once in a while, the mail, whether it's UPS, FedEx, they do lose this stuff. You want to make sure that's not something that you can't easily, you know, regenerate. Like I said, I don't want to have cell phone pictures, but if it's either the cell phone pictures or nothing because the postman lost it, hey, it's going to be a lot easier for both of us. Now, remember here, by the time you're hearing this, you know, we'll have less than a month for business taxes. Business taxes are going to be due on March 15th, and that's S-Corps and Partnerships. Now, business tax returns are not as imperative to get done on that deadline because businesses do not pay any taxes especially S-Corps and partnerships. Now, since all of that income flows through to you personally, generally our target is always April 15th. I don't want to file a business tax return without the personal because it does not allow me to properly tax plan for my clients between adjustments, depreciation, assets, and the things like that. Now, April 15th is the deadline. And I know what a lot of you guys are thinking. Oh, Hunt, I don't need to start worrying about that until September, October. I'm just going to put in an extension. Remember, though, an extension is an extension on time to file, not a time to pay. Meaning if you are getting a refund and you extend it, then you're just extending the amount of time that it takes to get that money back from the government. On the flip side, though, if you're extending to delay the inevitable, you are not extending your timeline to pay. So if you end up filing in September and you owe the government $20,000, you're not going to be able to write them just that $20,000. They're going to come back and say, hey, 
This is a couple months late here. So not only do we want our $20,000, we want interest for when it should have been paid to now. And also we're going to penalize you for not paying us on April 15th. So really either way that you look at it, doing an extension without a good reason, meaning, hey, we have a lot of people that extend their personal taxes. Hey, we have everything in there, but we're still waiting on one statement. If we have everything in there pretty much all ready to go and just waiting on smaller bits of this, we can estimate where you stand, give you an extension payment so that there is no urgency. Hey, when a brokerage statement comes in in July, we'll finalize this return. We know we've already paid enough in there. We're not going to be penalized on it. We can take our time, right? So extensions are not always a bad thing if they're planned for. If you're aware of it, if your accountant's aware of it, and they have enough time to do it, right? And if you're in a situation right now here in February where you know that you have no chance to file by the April 15th deadline because you're waiting for this or whatever else is going on, don't wait till April 14th to tell your accountant, hey, by the way, I need to extend it. Get your information as much as you have it in there now and tell them, hey, get all this stuff in there. Let's get this pretty close. Let's see what I need to make for an extension payment. But I have no intent of ever being able to file this on the deadline. The easier you make my life, the easier I make your life, right? And also for we appreciate that. Hey, it doesn't matter. We don't mind if you want us to get it filed now. We don't mind if you want to extend it. I just want to make sure that you know what you're signing up for because I don't want you to have any sort of surprises. So if someone comes in there and says, hey, guys, can you put this in there? I'm not going to be able to extend it by the deadline. Do we need to worry about having every single penny in there? No, because it's not going to be a material change. But we'll be able to get all the information or as much information as we have into the return to be able to say, you know what? We are perfectly fine. We can extend this. You're already getting a massive refund. Even a small income that we're expecting or maybe some adjustments that might trickle through in the end are not going to be enough to make you ever owe money, even if you end up filing in September. Or, hey, you know what? We are going to be a little bit short. Looks like we're about $3,000 short. And what we do for a lot of our clients is say, hey, we're going to put in about $5,000 for this extension payment because not only do we want to make sure that we can cover this tax amount, we don't want to cut it too close and end up paying any sort of penalties or interest. If we end up overpaying on it, either we'll get a refund back when we file or maybe you need to pay estimates anyways and we can just apply it to next year's taxes. But in a perfect world for most people that don't have outside investments or don't have anything wacky going on there, Get your taxes in, get them filed. Let's get last year closed up and let's start focusing on 2023 tax planning and also just looking forward and making sure that we're doing the right things this year as much as we can. So please share this with friends. And if you have any questions, comments, or ideas for future episodes, please shoot me an email at podcast at parmelis.com. So thanks again for listening on the Aftermarket Radio Network. You can find all shows on aftermarketradionetwork.com and on your favorite podcast listening app. So thanks again for joining me on Business by the Numbers. Stay safe out there, and I will talk to you all next week. You've been listening to Business by the Numbers with Hunt Demarest on the Aftermarket Radio Network. Follow Hunt on your favorite podcast listening app. Let him know what you'd like him to cover. His email is in the show notes. Hunt is all for advancing the aftermarket.